From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the webs at Dream and <laughs> visit them on the web at <laughs> dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello and welcome to episode 29 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian Michael Bowling and I am joined by my good friend, co-host and producer Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm fantastic. How are you, Michael? Oh, doing well. We uh, It looks like out here in California, we're over much of our rain, we're hoping. Yeah. And um, we're enjoying spring and, and all the wonderful allergies that come with it. Very nice. <laughs> yes. So, and things are, are well over in your kingdom. Oh, of course. There. You know, or Orlando in April. What What could be better? <laughs> it's so. usually pretty mild whenever yeah, I've out it's, there it's not that bad so uh, I, I could be complaining a lot more but you know those constant days of 90 degrees are coming upon us and uh, you know spring break just feels never ending but yeah. you know what could be worse <laughs> I know we could live with it where our friends in the north live True. Very true. <laughs> or, in the, or in the center part of the country. Yep. But um, yeah, out here we're just so happy we're getting into the seventies. Yeah. Uh, and uh, after a cold, wet winter. Yeah. So a much needed cold, wet winter. I'm still waiting for winter. Maybe one day. Yeah. <laughs> so well, in this episode of Connecting with Walt, Craig and I are continuing our look at the history of Walt Disney and his animated films. Uh, Craig and I are continuing our story from where we left off in episode 26, The Alice Comedies. And if you recall, Walt was feeling increasingly restricted by the format of The Alice Comedies. He believed he had gone as far as he could with the series. The films were coming more and becoming more and more about Julius the Cat and less and less about Alice. Walt's heart was in animation and he wished to be free of the restrictions imposed by the Alice series. And the final cartoon in the Alice comedy series was released on August 22nd, 1927. Now, in January of 1927, Charles Mintz, who was the producer and distributor who handled the Alice comedies, wrote Walt, I am negotiating with a national organization, and they seem to think there are too many cats on the market. Mintz later revealed the national organization was Universal Pictures, and they had ordered that the new character was to be a rabbit. Margaret Winkler thought Walt could work on this proposed animated series as a follow-up to the Alice comedies. So Walt and Ubba Iwerks immediately began working on rabbit designs well before production on the Alice comedies ceased. And that is where we pick up our story today with our very special guest, who is an award-winning artist, filmmaker, and author, Dave Bossert. Dave has worked on some of our favorite Disney animated films, including The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, 
The Lion King, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Fantasia 2000, and the Academy Award-nominated Disney Dali short film Destino. Dave has also served as the artistic supervisor for the Disney Restoration Team and has overseen restoration on the latest restored features, which includes Bambi, Cinderella, The Little Mermaid, Sleeping Beauty, Fantasia, Snow White, Pinocchio, The Jungle Book, and many others. He has been the creative director and producer of many theme park attractions, projection shows, and other specialty projects. And this is just a short list of Dave's accomplishments. Now, Dave will be publishing two new books this year, including Finding Oswald, The Search for the Lost Disney Cartoons, which is why he is with us today. So, Dave, welcome to the Dis Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Thank you very much, Michael and and Craig. Uh, It's uh, a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you, Al. The pleasure is all ours. Now, and now, Dave, if we went to the cinema in 1927, what would be the most popular animated shorts that we'd be seeing before the main feature? You know, I think that um, uh, back in the 1920s, you know, animation was relatively new, so to speak. Uh, it had been being done for a number of years. Uh, obviously, Walt had been doing the Alice comedies, which had an animation component to it. Uh, but you also had, you know, Crazy Cat and Ignatz. You had Felix the Cat. Uh, you had um, uh, Coco the Clown out of the Inkwell series from Fleischer Brothers. Uh, and, of course, you had Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. And Oswald really was Walt's uh, uh, first big success in animation. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, I'm old enough that all of those cartoons were on television when I was a really little boy, because there wasn't a lot of content for television in the, the late 50s, early 60s. So they were running all of that on like children's shows. Yeah. And, and you know, Walt Disney was, was, was a master at repurposing uh, animation. You know, a lot of the package pictures from the 1940s, uh, uh, they were cutting those up and creating uh, short subjects out of them. Um, and, uh, of course, all of the, the fabulous Mickey Donald and Goofy shorts uh, were starting to show up on uh, the Disneyland channel. Uh, not the Disneyland channel, but the wonderful world of Disney and the Disney shows uh, that they were doing, the Mickey Mouse Club. Yes, yes. That was the first time I think my generation saw a lot of the shorts was on those shows. So now, of all the possible critters to choose from, why did Universal choose a rabbit named Oswald as their new animated character? You know, uh, from from my perspective, I think that it really was differentiating from all the cats that were uh, in the cinema at that time. You had Crazy Cat, you had Felix the Cat, uh, who were popular, and I think that they just wanted something that would differentiate. Mm-hmm. So now on March 4th, 1927, Charles Mint signed an agreement with Universal Pictures for 26 animated shorts starring Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. And Mintz instructed Walt Disney to shoot the first picture as soon as possible. So now the contract is signed. Walt has his instructions. So what did Walt and his animators do next? Well, you know, uh, it was Charles Mintz who signed it with Universal, 
Walt didn't sign the agreement with Charles Mintz to create those 26 cartoons uh, until March 19th. So really, March 19th is, is considered Oswald's birthday. And that's coming up pretty quickly on us here. Uh, it'll be here before we know it. It's ne next Sunday, actually, uh, is sort of the 90th anniversary of uh, the creation of Oswald. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so for, our, for our listeners, here's a little peek backstage. We are recording this in advance, yeah. <laughs> this episode. So, um, so 90 years old. My goodness. So, um, so what what so Walt has this signed contract what you know what what did they do well how long did it take them how, was Oswald already developed because we know he and Ub were working on him no because if you in fact in in the book that I've put together we have a ton of material in there in fact a lot of stuff that this company didn't even own uh, we found stuff with collectors and uh, folks around the around the country um, but uh, they had to develop Oswald, and Oswald's design shifted a little bit and continued to shift, actually, after Walt lost the contract. But um, uh, the first cartoon was Poor Papa, and it was rejected. Um, and one of the criticisms that they got from Mintz and from Universal was that Oswald looked a little too old. Uh, and so Walt took all of those notes under consideration, uh, and, and didn't accept all of them. I mean, there was one note from Universal that they, they felt that Oswald should have a monocle. And, and and if they were complaining that he was too old looking, why would you give him a monocle? So uh, Walt rejected that idea. But but they did refine the design of Oswald for the second one, which is Trolley Trouble. And that was the one that was the first uh, Oswald cartoon released to theaters. And it was a hit. Uh, it was a terrific cartoon. And it was very well received. Um the first one, Poor Papa, wouldn't be released until 1928. Uh, and, um, you know, again, there was, a, there was a strained relationship there uh, between Mintz and uh, Disney, uh, between Walt and, and Charles Mintz, because uh, they just didn't see eye to eye. And also, uh, Charles Mintz, I don't think, had a lot of respect for Walt, uh, based on all the research that I've done. Uh, he seemed to be constantly criticizing Walt uh, throughout their uh, relationship on Oswald. You know, we talked about that. Craig and I talked about that when we did the Alice Comedies episode that, uh, you know, Walt was more interested in sort of personality animation and story and, and Mintz wanted more gags. And so did that continue with the um, Oswald series? Absolutely. And uh, and I think also Walt wanted to focus a little bit more on story, too. I think he was he was developing his story chops uh, on Alice and on the Oswald cartoons. And um, it really was uh, sort of a strained relationship, you know, uh, going through all of those 26 cartoons. Now, Julius the Cat in the Alice comedy sort of became the breakout star near the end of that series. Did Oswald have any of the same qualities as Julius the cat or was, or were there, were there a lot of contrasts? You know, I, I 
think that, uh, and I haven't delved into the Alice comedies uh, as much uh, as some people have. In fact, uh, I have an upcoming project that's going to be delving into the Alice comedies and doing some research on those. And there is a lot of material to, to go through. But, you know, Julia, the thing with the Alice comedies that I think everybody should realize is that as they were going along creating those, the animation became a bigger and bigger part of those Alice comedies until the the end of the series was dominated by animation and uh, Alice was a very small part of it. It was sort of, uh, they were using Alice almost as a device to get in and out of the animated world. And um, I think that... They wanted uh, Oswald to be this spunky little um, uh, comedic character, uh, and and I think his personality evolved a little bit. If you contrast actually uh, uh, Oswald with Mickey, um, you know Oswald is a little bit more of a philanderer. He's got two girlfriends. Uh, he's got Fanny, who's the uh, the rabbit-like uh, girlfriend, and Hortensia, uh, who's the more cat-like uh, girlfriend. Uh, and they they sort of switch it up uh, uh, from cartoon to cartoon. So, uh, but I, I definitely think that Oswald had much more personality than Julius did. Mm-hmm. Julius yeah. was almost a foil to Alice. Yeah. Also, so Disney was getting into interspecies relationships. Wow, he was really groundbreaking there. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, but, but the other thing I noticed from watching, you know, the Alice comedies and then the the Oswald shorts that are, you know, they're available on YouTube, a whole lot of them, is that it seemed like Oswald was uh, much more conscious of his body than Julius. He used his body more in his, in his, um pranks you know he would take off his um foot and kiss it or rub his head with it because he was the lucky rabbit and he had two rabbit's feet but he seemed to um his body seemed to be much more i don't know um flexible malleable malleable and and there were a lot more gags with his uh body uh flattening out and taking on different shapes and uh you know coming apart i love when he lifts off the top of his head and ears when he's sort of tipping his hat if you will to in some of the cartoons Uh, there's some wonderful wonderful gags in there and it also to me always highlights you know the beauty of animation that ability to dismember a character and put the character back together and to do those crazy surrealistic things like taking his hat off or you know which is really his ears there's an image of it i don't know if, if you can quite see it where it says idea and uh-huh. he's doing just that. He's got the top of his head with his ears attached to that off as if he's tipping his hat. So, um, you know, there, there's a lot of those fun gags. The one you mentioned is from Trolley Trouble, and I think he's done it in a couple places, but uh, where he's praying and he takes off his, his, his foot, his lucky rabbit's foot, and mm-hmm. he kisses it, rubs it on his head, and then puts it back on his leg. I mean, those are, those are just wonderful animation gags, and you don't quite see that as much today. Uh, it's almost as if... Today's animated features are, are leaning way more towards live 
the you know the real world, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, human characters and so on. Uh, but uh, that was to me the heyday of that type of animation. Yeah, it, it seemed like they were in much more imaginative situations yes. back then than they are now. Well, anything was possible. You know, you just mm-hmm. you you just did it. Uh, and uh, an interesting fact that came to light while I was uh, working on the book, uh, and and David Gerstein, who's a good friend and acted as the archival editor on the project, he and I had some good conversations about this. But uh, one of the interesting things that, that showed up was that there's some documentation that Walt and his brother Roy were paying bonuses of 5 and $10 uh, to the artists to come up with gags and situations and storylines. Uh, and I thought that was really kind of a neat thing. Mm-hmm. And that's something they continued when they did their feature films, you know, with Snow White. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, there, there's that whole Snow White celebration because it was so successful. And they, uh, you know, the key animators that made that, the key artists that made that film happen received some pretty uh, fantastic bonuses. And there's some wild stories attached to that whole thing because uh, Fred Moore in particular blew his bonus and wasn't really sure where he blew it, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that sounds like no, another no book, Dave. No doubt on booze and women. So. Yeah. Oh, he looks so innocent in his photos, too. Yeah, he, he wasn't. <laughs> but now you'd mentioned that Oswald the Lucky Rabbit was immediately a hit. And Snow White and the Seven Dwarves has always been credited with being the first film to have associated merchandise in the stores. But Oswald the Lucky Rabbit was also merchandised. Because of his popularity. Absolutely. In fact, we have a very rare piece of merchandise. It's a sort of a sticker decal set uh, that we found with a collector. And he was kind enough to uh, allow us to put that in the book. And uh, so that's that's going to be showcased. But, yeah, there were definitely tie-ins. Uh, there's also another piece of uh, merchandise. It was a stencil set that you could buy. And they actually repurposed uh, the poster art for uh, O Teacher um, uh, onto the cover of that uh, stencil set that they were selling. We have a photo of that uh, in the book as well. Uh, but yeah, uh, and and then you know in the 1930s they were doing book tie-ins with some of the shorts. Uh, so the Silly Symphony, Three Little Pigs, uh, had a uh, a book that was available at stores that tied into that. So very early on they were getting into the that merchandising uh, that that really the company is known for now. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned um, O Teacher, where Oswald received a, the love interest. I think that's yeah. where we're introduced to Fanny. And it's interesting because when you see, you know, Oswald has been getting his makeovers over the course of some of the shorts. And you can see, I think, both in Oswald and Fanny, you start to see the resemblance of what uh, the foreshadowing of Mickey and Minnie, yes. I think, of those two characters because Oswald is, is circles, you know, that Mickey was and Fanny really looks like, you know, a distant relative of Minnie in her dress and, you know, her hat, things like that. 
Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you on that. But I also think that um, it, it's really interesting uh, when you look at a very early the those the the first three uh, Mickey cartoons, and if you take that design of Mickey and you look at him next to Oswald, there's an awful lot of similarities. Um, very, uh, very, very close in um, uh, you know that construction uh, of how the character looks and and all of that and uh and i think back in those days there was uh there was an opportunity to borrow more frequently from um uh the uh other artists that were out in the world doing stuff uh much it was a much less litigious society uh <laughs> back in those days where that kind of borrowing happened mm -hmm. yeah definitely and and you can see when we get into the mickey mouse shorts and that you can see reused material from oswald absolutely and we, we called that out in fact uh we we uh david who's done a lot of research on the comics and uh actually uh, uh suggested the use of a couple of comic mickey mouse comic strips that actually show some of the similar gags that were used in some of those oswald cartoons in the comic strips and we've actually put those in the books uh, in the book. So it's, uh, it gives everybody a good sense of it. And by the way, you know, we've been talking about 26 cartoons mm -hmm. in the course of doing this book and all the research, we actually came up with a 27th. Uh, and it's a, it's a cartoon called high up that was done at the Winkler studio after Walt lost the contract for Oswald, but it still has Walt's name on the title card and coincidentally was released before the last two Oswald cartoons. Hmm. Uh, and so it's really kind of a fascinating uh, little thing. And we couldn't find, a, we didn't find uh, a lot of documentation. We don't know if there's really much in the way of documentation as to what happened there but uh the film was released uh prior to uh and i'm going to give you the dates here i'm just pulling up a document that i have in front of me but uh we had uh let me see here um so hot dogs and skyscrapers were actually released after high up so High Up was released on August 6, 1928. Hot Dogs, which was the last cartoon in production uh, of Oswald at Disney, uh, that was released on, October, on August 20th. And then Skyscrapers was released on September 3rd. Uh, and that was the last Disney cartoon, the last Disney Oswald to be released in 1928. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's some interesting things that have gone on. What we were speculating was that we think Walt may have started on high up, um, anticipating getting a new contract from uh, Mintz and Winkler Productions. And when he actually lost the contract, I think, you know, he may have just turned over that material. And as you guys know, um, Mintz had gone, uh, had his people, uh, his brother-in-law, sign away a lot of the artists that were working on the Oswald cartoons to work on uh, the... Um, 
uh, the mints produced. Uh, and then, and then, by the way, you know, Mintz only did 26, and then he lost the contract. Universal pulled the contract from him and gave it to Walter Lance. Right, right. We're, we're going to explore that in a moment. Speaking of lost cartoons, then the British Film Institute found an also cartoon about what a year and a half ago, the um, Sleigh Bells. Yes. Uh-huh. So was was that a Mintz produced? Because it was a 1928 no. cartoon. Was that a Disney? That's a Disney cartoon. That's one of the. That was one of the lost Disney cartoons. You know, when I start, when I got involved in this project, it, and again, it was just complete. I, I'll tell you, it's just totally by accident. Uh, but uh, the uh, company had gotten the rights back to those twenty-six Walt produced, uh, Walt created cartoons of Oswald uh, from Universal in two thousand five, and. Um, there were only 13 titles. There was only 13 actual physical film titles that Universal had. And so there was 13 titles missing. And we've since uh, found, uh, actually we found seven, but we've only repatriated six. So that brings up to 19 of the 26. There's still... There's still seven missing, technically, but one of them we've identified. We we just haven't gotten it. Oh, okay. So, uh, but eventually, I think they'll all be found. Uh, they're out there in the world someplace, and hopefully, with the with this book, uh, our new book going out, um, you know, people will will buzz about it a little bit. And maybe some of the some of them will turn up. Uh, we've got on some of the missing titles. We have uh, foreign titles, uh, the 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 uh, uh, French and Italian and Spanish titles of some of those films. So hopefully, somebody out in the uh, in a film archive will will say, "Hey, you know, I think we have that." You know, mm-hmm. who knows? Oh yeah, you never know. It might be sitting in in some archives in some film institute somewhere. So and that's how all of these have been found. And uh, in fact, a- Africa Before Dark was uh, sitting at the Austrian Film Museum in their archive, but it was under a German title, and they didn't know what they had, and so that got identified. And that was actually is a beautiful. That was a thirty-five millimeter nitrate uh, print uh, that we were able to get scans off of. So it was really quite quite uh, a nice find I think because most of them have been on 16 millimeter and haven't been in great condition mm-hmm. yeah so is um, has the Walt Disney company been restoring them uh, yeah you know I'm not I'm not working full-time anymore at the company so uh, I I left last year and I'm writing full-time now and I've got some book projects with Disney publishing and all of that. Uh, so I don't know what they're doing uh, as far as uh, furthering that along. Uh, but uh, before I left, we were trying to locate them. The ones we located, we got scans of, and then we were doing restorations on them. Mm-hmm. And also adding music to them. So uh, Africa Before Dark was, uh, you know, the, we did a beautiful restoration on that. And then uh, Mark Waters, uh, c- the composer, uh, went in and created a soundtrack for it, which was, you know, reminiscent of those sort of late 1920s, you know, what Walt was doing with uh, the early Mickey cartoons. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's very cool. So it's sort of in the vein of... Uh, 
Um, uh, gosh, his name is slipping my mind. I'm having a brain fade. Um, it'll come to me. But anyway. Okay. Uh, but it's it's that early 1920s uh, 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 music, uh, which I think is is just so wonderful to listen to. Mm-hmm. All right. Good. Well, now we saw in the in the um, Alice comedies that you know Walt learned a lot about story timing, sense of space, and tracking. Um, he started to focus on personality animation. Uh, what do you think, Walt? What did Walt and his animators learn as they progressed through making the Oswald series? Well, I think that you have to realize, you know, from from the very beginning, Walt was essentially developing and refining the animation art form. Uh, they were constantly uh, pushing to uh, stretch the boundaries, not only technologically, which you can see when he adds sound to um, Steamboat Willie, but uh, all through the 1930s. Uh, in how the design and the the uh, dimensionality, if you will, of the characters uh, is getting more refined. Uh, the animation is becoming much more refined. You go from the rubber hose characters of the late 1920s into these much more articulated characters um, that have joints and you know uh, are just dimensional. Uh, so. Uh, they're constantly pushing the boundaries. And it was really all being driven towards doing that feature film, that first feature film. Mm-hmm. So, you know, from, from my standpoint, they were uh, constantly pushing the edge of uh, what was possible. Mm-hmm. So out of the Oswald cartoons that are available to us to see, are there any that you would recommend people should really watch because they were groundbreaking in sort of the history of animation and the history of Walt Disney. Well, I think out of the Oswald uh, cartoons, you really have to look at uh, uh, Trolley Trouble. Uh, I think it's just a wonderfully created uh, film. And when you're watching that, you have to look at the trolley itself and the background landscape and how it's all animating. And that was all done by hand. You know, that's the kind of stuff that they would be doing CG today. Uh, Those rigid body objects like a trolley uh, would be a CG element. Even in a 2D movie, uh, it would have been a CG element uh, today. Uh, But that was all drawn by hand. And it's just so beautifully done. And there's such personality to those objects. Uh, I think, you know, if you, you watch that, I think uh, there's some fantastic gags and some funny stuff in Africa Before Dark. Uh, uh, people should uh, absolutely watch that. I think they may be releasing that with an upcoming Bambi um, Blu-ray. Oh. Um, they may be putting that on there. So, And you get to see it with the music, which is, um, which is really, I think, kind of uh, a fun thing. So good. Well, gives us something to watch and learn from. So thank you. So now many of our listeners, and, and you've already brought it up, they know that Walt and Roy lost Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, along with most of their animation staff, to Charles Mintz and Universal Pictures. Can you tell us more about the events that led up to that meeting between Walt Disney and Charles Mintz in New York? 
Well, I think that, you know, Walt, uh, from from everything that uh, I've been able to get my hands on letter-wise and letters between telegrams between he and his brother, Roy O, I think it really boiled down to uh, it was always about money. Uh, and I think it was also the creative differences that he had with Charles Mintz. I mean, Walt saw things his way and, um, you know, uh, uh, and Mintz, Mintz was a, was a fairly cold individual. He was a, you know, a lawyer, he was a businessman and you have Walt in contrast to that as this creative force. And so they just naturally uh, rubbed uh, the wrong way. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, that had a lot to do with them going sour. And also, uh, Walt wanted more money to create these uh, cartoons. He didn't feel like he was getting enough money. And you have to realize, too, when they were making those Oswalds, they were turning those out every couple of weeks. I think they, were, they, they might have been spending two and a half weeks to do these cartoons. And when you look at those early cartoons, you see a lot of cycling of animation. Uh, so they're, re, they're repurposing the animation to eat up time. Uh, in order to get the cartoon done. And that was one of the criticisms that they got on the first uh, Oswald, Poor Papa, uh, was that there was too much cycling of the animation, too much repeating of it. And, uh, and that, that, that was an issue. By the way, I was trying to think of earlier Carl Stalling. Oh, so of course. When we're talking okay. about the music, Carl Stalling, uh, you know, the, uh, was the first music director for for Disney uh, before he left in the '30s and went off. And and Carl Stalling uh, actually is credited with uh, uh, you know, coming up with the concept of the Silly Symphonies, uh, mm -hmm. of being able to do these animated stories around music. But but again, you know. You have to watch these. These are black and white cartoons. And if you went out into a theater in the 1920s, depending on where you were, would determine you know, what level of audio there was going to be. I mean, if you were out in the sticks someplace in the country, you might not have anything in the way of music. Uh, or you might have just a piano. If you're in the big city... You might have more than that. You might have a small ensemble of musicians at the theater who are playing along uh, with with the films. Mm -hmm. But Mark Waters, Mark Mark Waters is a real student of that Carl Stalling era. Uh, you know, with with some of the uh, early uh, great compo uh, you know film composers of the day. So. so. Oh, yeah, and I know we see Carl Stalling's name on other um, cartoons. Yes, absolutely. Well. Yeah. You know, after he left Disney, he went on to Warner Brothers, and he right. spent the remainder of his career at Warner Brothers. Yeah. And uh, But uh, there, you know, he, he did fantastic work at Warner Brothers, but a lot of people overlooked the fact that he got his start actually uh, working uh, at the Disney Studios. Yeah. So, so now... Walt goes to New York and meets with Charles Mintz. And then so yeah. what 
so tell us tell us that story. Walk us through that. Yeah, I think you know Walt went Walt went to New York with the intention of uh, renegotiating the contract for the next twenty six, and he was completely unaware of the fact that um, uh, Mintz's brother in law, who was out in Hollywood, was already signing away a lot of the artists, and actually tried to sign Ub Iwerks away, but uh, Ub refused, and. Um, uh, Ub was very loyal to, to Walt, and I think that showed in the fact that um, uh, Walt took him back after, uh, you know, Ub had left in the 30s and set up his own studio for a number of years. And then when he folded that studio, Walt hired him back. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I think with a lot of the other folks uh, that, that had been signed away by Mintz, uh, Walt felt betrayed by them. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but yeah, I, I think Walt tried to posture a little bit, you know, again, he's young, he's learning the business. He tried to posture a little bit that he was going to go off and, and maybe get a better deal with somebody else uh, with Oswald. But what he didn't really realize was that he didn't own the character. Uh, in the contract that he had signed with uh, with Winkler, uh, there's a clause in there that specifically states that Winkler essentially owned Oswald. So Walt had no rights to the character. And I think that's a really important point to, to make because it's something that uh, stuck with him for the remainder of his life and how he did business. You know, it was Roy that took care of the business side of things and making sure the contracts were signed and, you know, the correct amount of money was being, you know, uh, exchanged for services and so on and so forth. You know, it's it's that kind of a thing that happened. Uh, they were definitely a yin yang. In fact, I think Business Week magazine a number of years ago did a wonderful article, uh, and I think the title of it, if I remember correctly, was "Are You a Walt or a Roy?" and and it talks about that sort of uh, yin yang relationship that you have to have uh, in these types of organizations between the creative force and having a counterbalance on the business side in order to to remain successful. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely! You, yeah. They I, they needed each other. Absolutely, without yeah. question. Yeah. Uh, but but I think it was a very valuable lesson for him. You know, incidentally, Walt, Walt actually went over and tried to to see if he could get a deal with Fred Quimby, uh, and many people remember Fred Quimby's name uh, from uh, uh, early MGM cartoons, and then ultimately Fred Quimby went over to Warner Brothers. Uh, and I believe work with Chuck Jones on many of those uh, shorts. Mm -hmm. So, as a producer, so uh, but ultimately uh, he wound up losing. Uh, you know, Mintz basically told Walt that not only was he not going to get any more money, he was not getting a new contract. That that you know, Mintz was fed up with with, with everything, and uh, they were he was going to go off and do it on his own. Uh, with his own studio. And Walt was devastated. Uh, I mean, absolutely devastated. But you have to realize that, to me, you know, an ordinary person might have just, you know, moped away and 
balled himself up in the fetal position and whined about it that he got screwed. Uh, but Walt went and got with Ub and they created Mickey Mouse. And while they were finishing out their obligation on the Oswald contract and finishing those last Oswald cartoons, uh, Walt uh, and Ub and a couple other artists were working at night in the garage at, mm -hmm. on Lyric Street where Walt and Roy had homes. They were working on the first three Mickey Mouse cartoons. And the first one everybody knows is Plane Crazy or should know. It's not right. Steamboat Willie. They did Plane Crazy, they did Steamboat Willie, and they did Galloping Gauchos. And uh, obviously Plane Crazy because of all of the hoopla over Lindbergh and his mm -hmm. flight to Paris across the Atlantic. Uh, Steamboat Willie was a play off of uh, Buster Keaton's uh, Steamboat uh, Bill uh, mm -hmm. film. And uh, Galloping Gauchos was sort of a uh, homage to Douglas Fairbanks. Uh, and so, you know, you have these three short cartoons, they're working on them at night. I remember talking with Roy Edward Disney, uh, Walt's nephew and Roy O's son, uh, many years ago. Uh, and he was telling me how his mother, Roy's, uh, Roy's wife, uh, Edna, uh, Roy O's wife, Edna, uh, and, uh, Lillian Disney were painting cells on the kitchen table at the house. <laughs> uh, uh, to get those cartoons done. So it was a it was a very scrappy operation, uh, but you know he he went off and and started something. and And I can't stress it enough how important Oswald is in the Disney universe, because had Walt just remained as a contract player and got that second contract to do the Oswalds. You have to ask the question, would he have ever created Mickey Mouse? He wouldn't have had the motivation to no. create Mickey. And, and also, would he, wound, would he have wound up like a Walter Lance, where he was just a contract player for Universal? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, like, it's, it's fun to think about some of those questions, but you know, he has this huge setback by not getting the contract to do more Oswalds, and instead of whining about it, he creates Mickey Mouse. And he owns Mickey Mouse. And Mickey Mouse becomes a huge sensation because Walt does, you know, adds the sound to it. Uh, and it's like the greatest thing since sliced bread. It's a huge success. And he starts cranking out these uh, Mickey Mouse cartoons. And Mickey eclipses Oswald immediately. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and Walt winds up getting uh, a special Academy Award in 1933 for the creation of Mickey Mouse. So I mean, there there's so much there to to look at and say, wow! Imagine if he didn't lose that Oswald contract, would yeah. we have Mickey? Would Mickey be a corporate symbol today? Right. So, well, would and would the Walt Disney Company exist as it does? Yeah. yeah, big question, yeah. because, you know, look what happened to the Fleischers. You know, the Fleischers were, were the big competitors at, uh, during that time. You know, Coco the Clown and Betty Boop and uh, Popeye. Uh, they, they had some great stuff going on, but they're gone. They're yeah. gone now. They lost yeah. the time. And they tried to mimic Walt with doing feature films that mm -hmm. were not, not the hits, 
that Walt's feature films were. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So. So, so uh, you're saying that this wasn't the end of Oswald the Rabbit when the contract ended. You know, he went on to have a career for quite a while. But how did Oswald change when he passed from Walt Disney to Universal, well, to, to Mintz, and, and then ultimately to Walter Lanz? Yeah, you know, his design kept evolving. You know, if you look at uh, Mickey from, I always say from from 1928, those first three cartoons where he's sort of this rubber hose little cartoon character, very crude looking, uh, to the beautiful um, Fred Moore designed uh, Mickey that you have hanging on your back wall there of Mickey Sorcerer's Apprentice. Uh, you know, there's this beautiful evolution in the design of the character, but it's always Mickey. You know, you can look at any iteration of Mickey from 1928 to 1940 and go, that is Mickey Mouse. No, what, no matter what version you're looking at of him. Uh, but with Oswald, the designs were changing radically. Mm-hmm. And Walter Lance, so so you had Walt do 26 Oswald cartoons, then you had Mintz do 26, and then it gets turned over to Walter Lance, and Walter Lance does about 120 of them uh, from roughly, you know, 1930-ish uh, to about 1938 uh, or so. And uh, the design of Oswald's changes drastically over that period of time. He starts to become more of a realistic-looking bunny. Uh, and eventually, I always say, eventually turns into like the Nesquik bunny. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I was and, thinking the Easter bunny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Easter bunny, Nesquik bunny. And, and he actually makes his last appearance as a secondary character, a supporting character in a 1951 Woody Woodpecker cartoon. And that's really the last time. And he's relegated to like comic strips and, and, and that sort of thing uh, after that. But he, he kind of fades away. Uh, he loses his popularity. And, um, and and I think it's kind of sad because I think the early design of Oswald is really a wonderful, wonderful design. And that particular design could have been refined down a little bit more in a similar fashion to the way Mickey was refined through the 1930s to get to that quintessential Sorcerer's Apprentice Mickey. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's one of the reasons Oswald has not had, the, didn't enjoy the longevity and popularity that Mickey did? Because there was so much inconsistency in his character and his design? I, I think that's probably part of it, but I think also part of it has to do with the the sort of the story aspect of those cartoons. I don't think the stories were as strong. I think that's really, Walt, Walt wasn't a strong artist, but he was strong in storytelling. And I think that's where his strengths are. Okay. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, he, and Walt always said that himself, that he yeah. was a story man. Exactly. Yeah, and, and that's and, why and, he hired artists. 
Yeah, and and he was he was able to make those tough decisions uh, of you know uh, cutting things out of pictures. You know, I mean, one of the more famous ones uh, was the soup eating sequence in Snow White and the Seven Dwarves that Ward Kimball had had really done a fabulous job animating. And when it was cut into the picture, Walt decided, you know what, we're going to take that out because it didn't really do him uh, enough to advance the story. It was beautiful animation, and he almost lost Ward Kimball over yeah. that, uh, yeah. as the story goes, and and wound up giving Ward the task of doing Jiminy Cricket for Pinocchio. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, but I think, again, you know, Walt's strength was in story, and when you look at all of those early pictures, the reason why they're still, still so popular when you look at a Bambi or a Pinocchio or any of those early pictures, uh, they're popular because they resonate with generation upon generation. Uh, they're, they're, they have themes to them that resonate with everyone and with a broad audience. And, and so you can continue to put a film out like Bambi, Bambi or um, you know, uh, Pinocchio, and it'll resonate with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even today. Yeah, decades absolutely. and decades later. And, and even with the difference in, you know, today there's much more faster cutting uh, in films and, uh, you know, action is compressed a little bit more than in those early pictures. Those still those early pictures still hold up really well. Absolutely. You know, you bring up that meeting with Ward Kimball and Walt Disney. I, I remember hearing Ward in an interview say he still can't figure out how Walt did it because Ward went up to Walt's office absolutely determined to quit and that's all he had in his mind and he said I can't figure out how it happened because I walked out of that office delighted that I was working on Jiminy Cricket (laughs) and he still still couldn't figure out how it happened (laughs) it's it's interesting there's a lot of interesting stories about the interaction of Walt with a lot of his artists Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, you know, uh, again, I think that, uh, you know, going back to Oswald and the fact that, uh, he, he learned a lot, you know, he learned a lot doing those Oswald cartoons. That was like his boot camp. Uh, and, and, you know, again, I marvel at the fact that he had such a, uh, devastating setback that he essentially, uh, as they say, you know, he turned a lemon into lemonade. Mm-hmm. Well, and that, that's his career. Every time he had a, a big failure, you, we see a big, huge leap yes. in his career from the, the bankruptcy of Laughograms that brought him to California yeah. to losing Oswald. And his whole career is that way. Exactly. You know, yeah. So yeah. A, a remarkable man. So Now, although um, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit may have faded from the public's memory, he was not forgotten in the halls and offices of the Walt Disney Company. Um, when Bob Iger was named CEO of the Walt Disney Company, he told Walt's daughter, uh, Diane Disney Miller, that he wanted to bring Oswald back to Disney. And so Bob Iger saw his chance to bring Oswald home when ESPN acquired the rights to Monday Night Football in 2005. So Dave, can you tell us more about the story about how Bob Iger brought 
Oswald Bax? Well, it was actually Di- Diane Disney wanted to um, uh, repatriate Oswald uh, back to the company, and, and she had talked with Bob, and, and, and Bob was completely on board with it, from what I understand. And, uh, and yeah, there's an interesting connection with Monday Night Football, because it wasn't necessarily that it was um, – Monday Night Football was with – uh, ESPN mm-hmm. and the contract came up and they decided to do a Sunday night football and a Monday night football and Universal uh, got the rights to do the Sunday night football and Monday night football was going to stay at ESPN and um, the uh, Al Michaels and Madden broadcast team that was doing Monday night football they were going to move to Universal to do Sunday Night Football, and uh, what what boiled down there was that uh, Al Michaels was under contract to Disney, and so Disney was going to have to release him from his contract. And actually, they were pretty close to doing the whole deal when Bob apparently Bob Iger apparently called over to his counterpart at Universal and asked that they hook on the Oswald cartoons repatriate those back to Disney, the ones that Walt had done. And that's really the deal is just for those 26 that Walt had created uh, to bring those back home, so to speak. And, uh, and it was a bit of a tongue in cheek thing there uh, that went on. I actually tried to talk to Al Michaels about it, but I don't think Al Michaels was that uh, um, happy about the whole thing. Uh, there was a little bit of, uh, bitterness he had written about it in a book of his um and i have a quote from that book uh in the new oswald book that talks about that whole episode but um initially he he kind of took it in stride but as the years have passed i don't think he was that thrilled about it all which is sad because i think there's a lot of people in the disney fandom that uh, view Al Michaels as a hero uh, of sorts for being part of that story to repatriate Oswald back to the Disney company. Yeah, I, and I have heard, I, I've seen a couple of quotes from from, and it seemed, yeah, it was a little, a little unhappy about being traded for a rabbit. Yeah, basically. <laughs> which I think I think, I think uh, you know there are other people out there that would have taken that in total tongue-in-cheek stride and mm-hmm. and reveled in it, you know. Yeah, and I guess he decided not to. So I don't know. It's uh, it is though uh, a wonderful uh, way of getting Oswald back uh, to to the company mm-hmm. and. And the fact that the company is starting to do something with Oswald, yeah. uh, which is really terrific, you know. Uh, uh, there's an there's a beautiful Oswald walk around down at the parks. Mm-hmm. There's some lovely merchandise. There's Oswald's Garage uh, in California Adventure that has some terrific merchandise in it. So, you know, I I'm happy that they're doing st- uh, something with it, and I'm also happy that uh, our you know my new book. Uh, 
uh, is coming out because, frankly, um, uh, it, it has so much material in it and there's so much uh, uh, great images in it that mm-hmm. people haven't seen before. And I think that's what's really exciting about it. Yeah. So can you give us more of a preview of what our listeners can um, find in your book when they yeah. purchase it? Yeah, absolutely. So the book is chock full of images, by the way, which I I really like to put into books a lot of images for people to look at. Where you know I, I'm I'm an artist. I started out as an artist at Disney, and you know to me it's I'm very visual, and I want to put as much in the way of imagery in as we possibly can. So we do have. Um, uh, what, what's really cool in the beginning of the book, the first four chapters are really sort of the background on the whole, how Oswald came to be. And, you know, there's, um, uh, we've reprinted some Western union telegrams. Uh, there's a lot of really terrific material. Uh, we found a, a uh, picture of Walt Disney that uh, the company doesn't own. It's a, it's almost a, I think a never before seen photo of Walt that we believe is from around 1926 at the Hyperion Studio. Uh, it's a young Walt Disney. Uh, but when we we got the picture from a collector, I I sent the copy of it over to the Disney Photo Archives to ask them if they had this photo and their response was, no, we've never seen this one before. We don't own it, Uh which is really terrific. So there's going to be a, there's a photo of Walt that people haven't seen before. Um, and but we talk about the the whole backstory, uh, and how Walt lost it. We uh, lost the contract. We also talk about the, um, you know, I, I talk about the restoration efforts on the cartoons and searching for the lost ones, the restoration efforts, and uh, the music. There's a little bit on the music. And then the book is broken into 26 additional chapters. Uh, each one is focusing on a particular Oswald title of all 26. And, of course, we do talk a little bit about the 27th, High Up. Um, the book uh, has the films listed in production order. Uh, and at the back of the book is a, is a list of the films in release order, which is different. Uh, and dates when there were premieres. We tried to put as much information in as possible. It's all aggregated into this one book. And uh, I, I had a ball working on it. I mean, it was a lot of fun to, to, to put all of this material together. And it really is sort of a de- definitive reference guide, if you will, uh, chock full of images, uh, lots of still frames uh, from all of the known films uh, are in there. There's animation drawings, there's backgrounds. There's some wonderful spreads in the book uh, on posters. Uh, there's posters that were, you know, were found. Uh, there was a couple uh, Oswald posters from the Disney Family Museum. There were some other Oswald posters uh, that were in some auctions over the years. Uh, and also the Disney archives had a number of uh, pencil sketches. Uh, the pencil comps, if you will, of the posters. And so there's a spread or two where on one side of the on one page, you have uh, the pencil comp of a poster. And on the 
opposite page is the full color poster oh, and that's cool. really kind of fun so there, there's there's some really neat uh images in the book i'm i'm super proud that this uh is is coming out in time for the uh expo this summer well a, was, by the way it, it's a pre-release at the expo because the book does not ship from amazon until august 29th uh, but they're going to have enough books at the uh, July Expo in Anaheim, and we'll be doing a book signing there. I might have to cancel my pre-order so I can buy it at the D23 Expo in July. Well, you know what I, always, <laughs> what I always say is, you know, buy multiple copies. Okay. <laughs> That's true. My display copy and then my reference copy. I've done that with some of my material. Yeah. But so, so how can our listeners? obtain finding oswald to search for the lost disney cartoons because there really is nothing out there about oswald very little so this is this is is the definitive book this is the absolute definitive book on it It, it's it's stunning it's uh the layout uh are uh i have to tell you uh i've worked with the same designer on most of my books now and uh, her name is Tamara kaloff and she is just the most fantastic designer to work with and uh she's just outdone herself on this book it's just absolutely beautiful so our listeners can get it at the D23 Expo or pre-order yep. through Amazon. Yeah. Are there any so, other avenues? So, so you can go on Amazon and pre-order it. Um, you can go to the D23 Expo. Uh, you, I'm going to be putting more material up on my website. If, uh, if people want to go to davidbosser.com, uh, they'll be able to see more material. I'm going to be updating the site over the next couple weeks. Um, by the way, the cover art uh, on Amazon right now, uh, hopefully by the time your listeners hear this podcast, they'll actually have the correct book cover up because the correct book cover currently is not there. Uh, but they can still pre-order the book, uh, which is a lot of fun. And I, I'm going to be doing something a little different because I get a lot of requests from people who want to try and get, you know, have their book signed. Uh, and sometimes those folks can't make it in for an expo or can't make it to a book signing event. Uh, you know, maybe they live someplace in the middle of the country or whatever. Um, uh, I'm going to be putting together a book plate uh, that I'll be able to sign. And if people send me a stamp self-addressed envelope, um, I'll be able to sign a book plate and mail it back to them, maybe with a bookmark, too. Oh, that's terrific. Yeah, Dave um, had showed us before the show, and he referred to it. On on this show, he made this great Oswald the Lucky Rabbit bookmark. That um, that that yeah, that it's worth it's worth sending him a self addressed stamped envelope just for this bookmark. <laughs> yeah, and I'll, I'll have that information up on my website. In a okay, excellent. It's not up there yet, but people can go to the website and uh, see some of the things I've uh, already done, some of the books that I've already worked on, and uh, also I have some articles up there and some program notes and things that I've written uh, over the years. Uh, so I'm trying to trying to organize myself a little bit. Excellent. And then I know that our listeners can also follow you on social media if they want to know more about your books and projects. Absolutely. You can friend me on Facebook uh, and you can also uh, friend me on Instagram. 
Uh, I do have a Twitter account, but I haven't been doing much with Twitter, but I, I'm going to try uh, and see if I can improve on that. And, and of course, I have my website, davidbossert.com. Excellent. And I know Craig will uh, put all of those links up in our show notes. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to also make sure you have a, uh, a nice digital image of the uh, book cover uh, so that uh, you can have the book cover up on there as well. Okay. Oh, that'd be terrific. Good. Yeah. Our listeners will know what to look for. Yeah. And so then there's a lot more other projects coming up. I'm, I'm in the midst of uh, doing a lot of research and interviews for a book I'm doing on The Nightmare Before Christmas. Ah, okay. You'll yeah. be back for that one to talk of chess yes. about it. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, and I've got a, a bunch of other projects in various stages of development that I can't talk about at the moment. But uh, I am working on a lot of interesting book projects on topics that haven't really been covered very much. And that's, you know, one of the things I like to do and, and one of the joys of putting the Oswald the Lucky Rabbit book together was that there really isn't anything out there. And so to be able to put together all of the information from all these different sources all in, you know, under one cover uh, I think is is really a lot of fun. It was a f it was a fun project to work on, but I think also I think it's going to bring a lot of joy to people out there uh, in the world who are fans of Oswald and are Disney animation fans. Oh, absolutely! And I think you're helping to give Oswald his proper place in 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 Disney fandom, so that people yeah. understand who he is and his significance. I know when I, next time I meet him at Disney California Adventure, I'm going to have a whole new appreciation for him. Yeah, I no, he's, I, he's absolutely, I mean, he, <laughs> he is a major player in the success of the Walt Disney mm -hmm. Company. And, and if I drop your name, right, he's going he's gonna to know you, right? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Dave, thank you so much for joining us on Connecting with Walt and telling us the story of Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. And we'll look forward to having you back on the show. I know already our listeners are going to be writing me and Craig about uh, your Nightmare Before Christmas book, because especially our Disneyland um, uh, fans, because of the overlay that they do on the Haunted Mansion every year. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I have to tell you, I, uh, the week after next, I'll be up in uh, the Bay Area uh, spending the day with Henry Selleck, who directed the film. And I'm looking forward to that. I've already spent an afternoon with Danny Elfman just talking about the music. And uh, there's so much amazing stuff there. And, uh, and it's a wonderful, wonderful backstory because it was such a small group of, of artists and it was stop motion. And at the time, stop motion really was sort of that uh, it was a fringe technique in the animation world. Uh, so it was a real small group of people. And it's, a, it's an exciting story. I'm looking forward to being able to get that out, out into the world. Excellent. So are we. And oh, uh, I had a question about your title. I'm sorry. Finding Oswald, the search for the lost Disney cartoons. That title, the search for lost Disney cartoons, could lead us to believe this is a series of books. Well, let's just say I'm leading you to believe that that could be true. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I'm uh, I'm 
looking at uh, a couple of things around uh, that I've been having conversations about. And I wish I could tell you more, but uh, I'm going to have to hold back on it right now. But there's definitely more stories to be told uh, on, uh, on not only Oswald and what happened to Oswald, but also what led to Oswald. So. Excellent. Good. Well, we are looking forward to having you back on the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. And I know we're all, all of our listeners and myself and Craig are looking forward to reading Finding Oswald, The Search for the Lost Disney Cartoons by Dave Bossert. So, Dave, hey, thank you again. It was absolutely my pleasure. And I, I really appreciate you having me on your show. And uh, uh, thank you. Thank You're you welcome. Thank you. Our pleasure. So, Craig, I think it's safe to say that without Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, there never would have been a Mickey Mouse. Absolutely. Um, And, you know, I think I can speak for both of us when I say just walk away from uh, that conversation with just being blown away more and more by Oswald. Yeah, definitely, because, you know, I thought he was just sort of, a don't know what, a subscript or a postscript or something in in Disney history. But, you know, when you really when we talk to Dave, you realize how important Oswald really was to the Disney company. In many ways, he was the one that helped build it Yeah, because he, he led, as Dave was saying, he really led to Mickey Mouse. Yeah, and, absolutely. Um, and, and, yeah. So it's almost like like Oswald was the cornerstone. Yeah, no, I completely agree, and uh, it, it does feel nice that uh, that Disney is really starting to show an appreciation uh, towards Oswald again. Obviously, everyone lost their minds, uh, as you mentioned the the Oswald character that you can meet at Disney California Adventure. Everyone just went insane over that. But then, um, you know, even uh, on this last Pinocchio Blu-ray release, they had. Uh, the Oswald short Poor Papa that they had recut and rescored just for that and remastered and it's beautiful. So I, I hope that uh, more Oswald hidden gems just keep falling into our lap in the future. So uh, you know, it, it'd be great if we could get Oswald on uh, this side of the country, but you know, maybe it's just one of those nice little hidden gems that is better if it stays out in California. So that way we have a reason to keep going back. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, and they, and they, they've done a lot with Oswald, especially in 2007, we saw them releasing a lot more, you know, merchandise, you know, they had the two disc DVD set Mm -hmm. on the Walt Disney treasure series. That's probably out there. We saw more collectible figurines and plush toys. Um, We, I remember how excited was it? One of the D twenty three expos when the Oswald ear hats made their appearance, and every and they were just a promotion. Yeah, yeah. By a by a third party vendor, I believe, and everybody went nuts over them. And yeah. then they were released at you know in when um, the reimagining of Disney California Adventures Buena Vista Street, and um, they were released, and everybody went nuts over those. And then, of course, he was he starred in the epic Mickey video game yes, series. Yep. And we heard his voice for the first time. I think in the second um, version of it. You so. could be right. I don't have a great memory whenever it comes to that. I've I've played a couple epic Mickey's though. So yeah, 
I enjoyed it. I'm not into video games as much, all that much, but I enjoyed it, but Mickey. Maybe it's because of the, I like the whole concept of, you know, the, where all of the forgotten characters and the, 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 um, the the forgotten you know um yeah. theme park attractions they they all have a home oh yeah no it's and, uh, epic mickey is definitely a game that is made specifically for you <laughs> yes yes I, I i love it so um I, i'm a little uncoordinated with it but um i enjoy it yeah <laughs> so so let's hope that there that with this book and, and uh and you know disney will continue to promote oswald in different ways it would be wonderful to see a new short well you know with oswald before one of the films um you know one of the feature films i'm sure that's not too far off yeah well, and then, you know, as Walt liked to say, I only hope we don't lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a mouse. And in our next installment of our examination of Walt Disney's animated films in July, we'll be looking at the birth and stardom of that mouse named Mickey. So please join us next time for episode 29 of Connecting with Walt, in which Craig and I share another installment of Disney's Neverland, the Disney that never was. And our good friend Jim Corcus will join us to share the story of Walt Disney's attempts to make a feature film of the Roald Dahl book Gremlins. So, Craig, until our next episode, where else can our listeners find you on the Diz Unplugged Podcast Network? Of course, you can find me every Tuesday on the Disney World Edition, on Thursdays on the uh, Universal Edition, sometimes on Wednesdays with whatever's happening there, sometimes on Fridays with Diz Pop. And, of course, you can always follow my hijinks on Twitter anytime you want at Teleclaster. What about you, Michael? Well, you can find me every Sunday night on the Dis Unplugged Podcast Disneyland Edition with my good friends Tom Bell, Nancy Johnson, Mary Jo Mulatto Willie, and Tony Spatel, where we have lots of fun talking about Walt's Park that started it all and all Southern California theme parks, the Walt Disney Family Museum, and even more Disney history. So listen to us live on Mixler Sundays at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, Disneyland Time. And you can download our two weekly shows from iTunes each Monday. So, until next time. Oh, and if, well, if you want to listen to um, more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes at www.disunplugged.com. And look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, where you can subscribe to our show, leave some positive reviews and ratings. You can message me at michael at wdwinfo.com. On Twitter, I'm mbowling121. Facebook, I'm Michael Bowling. And Instagram, Michael Bowling that is. So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing that was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother, Roy. Bye.